Welcome to Connection Church's podcast. This week, Brandon Williams continues the series, Encounter. This week, we look at Levi's call into ministry and the type of people Jesus interacted with while on this earth. The sinners and the sick, the ones who needed a doctor. It's time for the church to step back into what it was originally created for, to serve a broken world. Today I'm excited we're going to continue this encounter series. We're going to look at the calling of Matthew or Levi um, today. And it's interesting. I I hope you'll be encouraged by it, challenged by it, and uh, that God will touch each one of our hearts as we go through this. I want to read to you. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Mark chapter 2. And uh, we're going to read through verses 13 uh, all the way through 17. The calling of Levi. It says in verse 13, Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Lord, I just pray that uh, today um, you would quicken our spirit to receive it. God, that we would open our hearts to receive your word as good seed. And God, that it would produce amazing fruit in our lives, Lord. Just use it in an awesome way. God, to, um, to just change our lives. God, um, even though those of us who feel like we're doing pretty good, God, that it would go to another level of living for you and in you, God. And we would realize that is where the most blessed life is, is being right in the center of your heart. And I thank you for that. Thank you for the opportunity we have. God, I pray that from this day, from this hour and a half, God, that we spend together the great fruit would come from what's sown here. But we love you and thank you. Thank you for Jesus and the fact that he came, not for those who are perfect, but for those who needed a healer and a savior. God, thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I grew up in a home where we went to church every Sunday, but that was about the extent of our religion. We went to church, we kept fast days, etc., but we never read the Bible. And I never felt a personal relationship with God or Christ. And that went on for many years. And, I, and over the years, I, uh, I did all the things that men, young men do growing up. I, uh, and eventually, I became an alcoholic and drug addict. And continued that for many years. And God, God intervened, I know, at this, this time, but I didn't at that time. I got into AA, and one of the first things they talked about was a higher power, and I had quite a bit of difficulty with that because my thought about God or a higher power was one that uh, kept records, and by now I had been completely lost and there was no hope of ever going to heaven or salvation, and I met a priest when I was living in D.C. who was also in AA that started to tell me about uh, God of his understanding was loving, caring, kind, compassionate, and I started to believe. I continued in the Catholic Church for a few years and was more and more disillusioned because 
it wasn't, they didn't talk about Christ or who Christ was or where, what I was, what part Christ was to play in my life. And it wasn't until a few, last year at this time that uh, my daughter, who was also an addict, finally went into treatment without my help. Uh, I had tried to help her for years and almost killed her because I enabled her. And it was only friends of mine in AA that said if I didn't let go of her, she would die. She got into a treatment facility in Atlanta that is a faith-based. And I met the director who was also in recovery. And listening to my daughter over the first month or so, she was just so alive with finding finding Christ that I started to, to look. And prior to that, for the last few years, I had been taking a course at the Episcopal Church called Education for the Ministry. More what my ministry was, not, not becoming a minister. And I became completely disillusioned with um, organized religion. Uh, Christ never founded a church. He never built a cathedral. He never had gold vestments. He, he was a simple man and lived a simple life. I worked part-time at Hobby Lobby, and I met a man that was coming to Connection Church, and he asked me if I would come on a Sunday. And uh, I came, and uh, this is when the church was in the small part of this building. And immediately I felt a, a sense of comfort, the same way that I do in AA. And um, I knew that there was something here that I needed to find. My year has been evolving. I have no idea what's going on. Today I'm, I'm very comfortable talking about Christ. And if somebody had mentioned being an evangelist years ago, I would have said, my religion is very personal. I don't talk about it. But today, Christ is such a part of my life that, that I enjoy sharing it with people. My journey today is, is just, it's so exciting. You know, when we were living in Washington, D.C. and moving to Nashville, my sponsor, the priest, said to me, you don't get it, do you? It's time to move on. God has other plans for you, other places for you to go and people to meet. And when I made that move to Nashville, I did learn a lot about myself and about God. And it was one of the easiest moves I've ever made. Now I'm moving to Winter Haven, Florida. I'm kind of a bittersweet. I will be back with my wife, who we haven't been together in three and a half years. But leaving Connection and uh, all my friends here will be difficult. But I know that uh, it's time for that God has wants me to move on and do some more growing. Uh, I hope you pray for me because I have no idea where I'm going. I, I am so comfortable with who I am today that I know that wherever I go and whatever I do, Christ will be the center of my life. Amen. You know, it's amazing to see God encounter somebody's life and totally change it around, right? I mean, think about some of you where you were when you met Christ and how it flipped your life upside down. And I'm so encouraged by the testimonies I hear of people who, uh, who come through the doors and, and, and their life is in a, in a mess, and yet God touches them and changes them and uh, puts them on a solid foundation, right side up, and uh, just does an incredible work in their lives. So just want to celebrate some of these things with you guys uh, through these testimonies that we're doing every week. And I hope you're encouraged by them as much as I am. That's, that's why we do what we do. On days, on Mondays when you wake up and you think, well, is there something else that I could be doing instead of pastoring a church? 
Those, that's what keeps you coming back, is hearing people's lives being changed and people's hearts being touched. And so I hope you're encouraged by that also. I want to tell you a quick story. And um, How many of you have ever had a massage before? Anybody ever had a massage in here? Yeah? Yeah? You like that? Yeah? Yeah? Well, I, uh, I had my first massage um, probably three years ago, and I was going through a, a really tense time, and somebody gave me a gift certificate to have a massage, and I was like, don't only girls get massages? And they're like, no, everybody gets massages. You should have a massage. And I was like, I don't want to get a massage. This is not up my alley, I can tell you. And it was even worse because the lady who was going to do the massage, I knew kind of well, you know, and I knew her husband really well. And the thought of this lady like massaging, it just was just weird, you know, as I was thinking about this. And so I go in and you would have thought I was going in for like a open heart surgery. I mean, that's how uptight I was. This was like a major procedure for me. And so I'm going in to get this, um, this massage. And I remember walking in the room and I'm kind of just stiff as a board and kind of like, okay, what do we, what do we do now? And she's like, okay, well, I'm going to leave the room. You just put this towel around you, get on the table, da-da-da-da-da. And I'm like, oh, great. And, you know, they got like the little hole thing that you can put your head through. And this is no joke. I know she walked, I was stiff as a board. And I know if you looked in my eyes, they were like this big looking under there. And, and I was like, oh, I, I just was so uncomfortable with this massage. I mean, just really uncomfortable. And so I go and, and, and she starts to massage, you know, my neck was all tight and, and it was so funny. Like 10 minutes into this thing, I'm like, ah, uh. I'm like, you know, drooling, it's coming out of my mouth. I'm like, oh, this is the best. I'm like, a little higher, right? Yeah, right on the neck, right there. Yeah, right there. Yeah, 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 that's it, you know? And, and it's so like, it went from hating it to this is the best thing that's ever happened in my life in like 10 minutes. It was a total change of mind. I don't know if you've ever had experiences like that where your mind just went from here to here and it went from being the worst thing to being the greatest thing. And you're just like, yes, thank God for massages, you know? It was so awesome. And then um, another time in our life, when, when Susan and I first got married, we, um, we got married and Susan was like, oh, I want five kids and, and I want all these children. Oh, it's going to be so glorious. We have, and I'm like, man, if we don't have a kid, I'll be cool. That'll be fine with me. You know, I'm thinking, man, kids get up in the middle of the night. You've got to feed them. They can't feed themselves. You've got to change them. They can't change themselves. I'm like, that sounds like a lot of work to me. And so I'm thinking, if we don't have any kids, I'll be great. Well, we had our first kid, Dake, our first child. Wow. What an awesome experience. And it was so crazy because we went like from me not wanting any or, or being okay if we didn't have any all the way to me like wanting five, right? And Susan has this kid and she's like, one is good, you know? <laughs> one is good. And so we had this total transformation, this total mind shift where I'm like, kids are glorious, yes. And she's like, yeah, I'm getting up with him all the time, you know? And, and, and it was such a transformation of, of my mind where my mind was open, such a transformation, in fact, that we're gonna have three of these things. Yeah, it's awesome. So for those of you who aren't fully understanding this, we have two now, but, but in November we are having our third and man, we are excited. It's going to be awesome. I know it'll be a boy as hard as Susan's praying. For some reason, God has just ordained and set us apart to have boys. If we have a girl, I don't know what to do. And so 
I'm pretty sure she would be very tomboy as she hangs out with our, our kids. And Dake, uh, Dake was with, our oldest was with Susan. And, and she said, well, Dake, what are you going to do if it's a girl? And Dake said, well, Mama, I guess then you won't have to be at home by yourself on Saturdays while we're hunting. <laughs> and so that's how my seven-year-old thinks. But, <laughs> but it was such an incredible transformation uh, of my mind going from not wanting any kids to now I'm like, man, we, we're halfway to five. Let's just go ahead. We, let's, two more and we, we got it, you know? And so, but it was a real transformation of my mind. And I know you've probably had those times in your life where your mind shifted, I mean, 180 degrees on something, where you went from not wanting kids to wanting kids, or, or you went from, you know, hating broccoli to loving broccoli. I don't know what it is for you, but there's something in your life that there was a total shift of your mindset. And I believe that's what Jesus is doing right here in Mark chapter 2 when he comes and he calls Levi. Is he's taking everybody's little religious paradigm. He's taking their little theological box that they've built and he's taking it and he's going and blowing that little card house down. He's taking it and, and turning it upside down. I believe that's one reason he did this very early on in, in all of the gospels that, that have this account is he was showing them, listen, you've missed the point for one. And, and two, I'm about to show you something different. I'm going to show you a different way. How, is it, how amazing is it that Jesus comes and he calls a tax collector? We would think of it as an IRS agent. But today, these, these tax collectors back then were even worse than IRS agents in our mind um, because they actually stole. They took more than what they were supposed to take. And what's amazing about this is that Jesus comes and he says, come follow me, Matthew. Come follow me, Levi. Come with me. Come, come walk with me. And everybody went, huh? How is it that, that this guy who is so righteous and so holy calls this sinner to come and walk with him? How is that? And Jesus not only goes and walks with him, he goes and eats at his house. What's crazy about this is Jesus ate at a house with a bunch of sinners who... And he was eating in a house that was built with stolen money. Don't you know that that took the Pharisees' little world and changed it all around? That it just sort of took everything and turned it upside down and made them go, wow. Because see, this thought to us, and listen to this, because this is where I believe the church has been in error for a long time. And one reason we can't reach people who aren't church is because their mindset in that day was that if you get perfect, you can come to God. Right? Get perfect, get cleaned up, get your life together, and then you can come to God. That's what they would do with the priest every year. He had to make sure he was right so that when he went behind the curtain in the temple where the presence of God resided, he wouldn't drop dead. Get perfect, go to God. And Jesus comes and he says, listen to me, we're going to swap this up a little bit because I realize you can't do this on your own. Why don't you come to me and I'll help you get perfect? Why don't you come to me? Why don't you leave all this, this junk here and all this effort that you're making to try to be perfect and come to me so that I can make you perfect? It's a total different way of thinking, is it not? Has the church not for so long been where we say, if you'll just clean up your life, then we'll offer you grace. But I want to tell you, where would you be? Those of you who are following Christ in here today, where would you be today if at your lowest hour somebody had not taken a chance on you and offered you grace? Where would you be? Let me clarify this. I'm not condoning sin. I'm not condoning people doing wrong things. All I'm saying is our own efforts are fruitless. Our legalistic mindset 
It's not going to work. Some of us in here today are spinning our wheels, trying so hard, so hard to live this Christian life. And the moment you'll lay that down and come to God and let him begin to love you, let him begin to pour into you, let him begin to change you, you will see the fruit that you've so desperately been trying to produce in your own life. So you and I, if we could do it on our own, Jesus didn't have to come and die. We can't do it on our own. And yet so many times we try. I believe this was such an awesome change for people. Such an amazing thing that Jesus said this in verse 21. He says, no one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the new piece will be pulled away from the old, making the tear worse. And no one pours new wine into old wine skins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins and both the wine and the skins will be ruined. He, no, he pours new wine into new wine skins. What was he talking about? He was saying, listen, if you put an unshrunk piece of cloth on some old garment, that thing is going to get wet. It's going to shrink and it's going to tear that hole even worse than it was. He's saying, you got to start thinking differently. You, you need to start looking at this different. He's talking about the wineskins. See, if you pour new wine into old wineskins, what happens is that, old, that new wine continues to ferment. When it ferments, it puts off gases. And those gases expand. That new wineskin, old wineskin cannot expand, so it bursts and the wine is spilt. What does he say? He's telling us, listen, you need to keep your mind fresh. Don't get set in some religious paradigm that you missed the whole point of a relationship with God. Because so many of us have missed that whole point of what God wanted us to have. And Jesus is trying to teach us about this. I want you to know, I believe this today with all my heart. I don't mean to offend anybody. I hope it doesn't. But the church needs to have a paradigm shift. The church needs to begin to look at things in a different way. We need to begin to look at things the way Jesus looked at things. See, Jesus was fully comfortable in the fact that if people will come to me, they'll change. But you and I like to take our hands and put them on people and tell them how they ought to live, what they ought to do, and we don't trust God to be the one who changes people. Right? You are quiet today. You're all. But it is. It is. It is. It's a different way of thinking. Is God not big enough to change the worst of us? He changed you. He changed me. That he can change anybody. But we've got to realize that Jesus brought this new way of thinking. It wasn't clean your act up and then come to God. It was come to God and watch me work in your life. But too many times we say, God, you just chill. Watch what we can do. Watch what we can do. And we grow big churches and we do, and there's no real life change. And people come in to the church and they leave in worse bondage than they were before they even knew God because we try to yoke them with things that God never intended for them to be yoked with. I had an opportunity to talk to a lady who got saved a couple of weeks ago. She came by the office. We talked for about 10 minutes. I said, my heart for you above anything else is to enjoy God. Don't read your Bible because you got to read your Bible. Don't pray because you got to pray. Do those things to enjoy God. Do those things to know Him. Be in His presence. Let Him love on you. One thing we lack more than anything in this world is unconditional love. Let God pour His unconditional love out on you. And just be. Just be in His presence. And offer that to other people. 
one of the funniest things to me is how we can be in a place where we are, we are distraught, we are down, we are low, we are the worst of sinners. If you ask us, man, we are terrible. And we come to God and all of a sudden, like we go from one day being the worst of the worst to the next day, not understanding how everybody else is not like us. Right? I did that. I went on, I was, I was the worst of sinners. I went on a retreat, came back the next week and I was like, what is wrong with everybody? <laughs> This world is going to hell in a handbasket. And I'm going to be the one that, that helps it get there because these people are horrible. They're horrible. I mean, I went through this whole process of this legalistic mindset. And you know, I'm going to tell you, those of you who, are, who, who think, you know, I got to do this, I got to do this, I want to tell you where you're going to get to. You're going to get to one of two places. You're going to get to a point where you burn out because you're exhausted. And you're going to turn away and walk away from God. Or number two, you're going to realize it is about the saving grace of Jesus Christ. And you're going to begin to enjoy God. And you're going to begin to love Him. And you're going to begin to see the fruit of the Holy Spirit being manifest in your life in a way that you never thought you could. All because you've surrendered to Him and you're living for Him. It's amazing. But let me ask you this. Did you get saved because somebody slammed you over the head with a Bible? Or did you get saved because the Spirit of God changed your heart? I'll answer that for you because Scripture is very clear. You got saved because the Spirit of God led you to Christ. Not because of anything you did. It's by faith and not by works. So that we see in here very clearly that Jesus was bringing this awesome change to us. He was bringing this awesome change of thinking to our lives. So that now we, can real, we realize that we don't have to be perfect to come to God. We come to a perfect God to become perfect. All right? Are you good? Amen. All right. Now, the next thing I want to tell you this is this. Jesus says here in verse 17, on hearing this, Jesus said to them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've come to call the righteous. Not, not come to call the righteous, but sinners. You know, um, we often forget where we came from. But yesterday, um, one thing that happened, man, it was so, I was, I get embarrassed easy. Anybody else get embarrassed easy? I get embarrassed easy. Well, I'm the only person here, I think, that gets embarrassed. But, okay, thank you. Um, but I, I, I was supposed to go to a wedding yesterday. And so I go and, and, I, and I call my friend. I use that term lightly now um, because I said, what should I wear to this wedding? What should I wear to this wedding? It was the outdoor wedding at 6 o'clock. I've never been to an outdoor wedding at 6 o'clock. So I had no clue. What am I supposed to wear? He's like, well, I'm wearing khakis and a button-up shirt. I'm like, great. That is perfect for me. No suit, no tie great. I put on my, my khakis, my button-up shirt. I get to his house. He's got on khakis, a, a sports coat, and a, like a nice button-up shirt. And I'm like, what? You told me like khakis and a button-up shirt. We get there. Everybody's wearing suits. Everybody, except for like the eight-year-olds. I'm like, great. I'm just like an eight-year-old. And so I go there and, and I feel so out of place. Anybody ever felt like that? You just like, man, I stick out like a sore thumb. Everybody's kind of looking at you like, you know, like, what's he doing wearing that? Doesn't he know it's a six o'clock outdoor wedding? And I'm like, duh, I've never been to a six o'clock outdoor wedding. And so I'm there, I got all this, 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 these khaki pants on. They weren't even nice, really nice khaki pants. I just got this old button-up shirt on, and I'm feeling so weird until I see this guy with blue jeans and a golf shirt. And I'm like, yes, yes. I'm like, at least I'm not as dumb as he is. Look at that guy right there. That guy. That guy right there. He is an idiot. Look at what he's wearing. Look at what.
what he's got on. And I mean, and then I can become like them. I'm like, look at me. I got on my khakis and my button-up shirt. And he's got on jeans and a, you know? But I was thinking about, I was thinking about that. I was like, you know, that's so much like us as church, man, as, as Christians, as Christians. As long as we can find that person that's worse than us, we are okay. We're all right. But the truth of the matter is that everybody there, everybody there standing before a holy God was underdressed. Are they not? See, we can't dress ourselves well enough to go before a holy God. Isaiah said it like this. He says, your most righteous deeds are filthy rags before God. You put on the best thing you can possibly put on, but when it's all said and done, you're naked before a holy God. That was Adam and Eve's problem, wasn't it? They tried to cover themselves with fig leaves. And God's like, come on, guys. But so many of us play spiritual hide and seek with God. We think we can clothe ourselves with religious acts. And Jesus didn't come and call Levi so he could make him religious. He called Levi so he could be in a relationship with God. So he can know him. So he could be clothed with the only thing that covers our shame and our guilt before a holy God. And that's the blood of Jesus Christ. And that's why he came, is so we could experience that. And, and you know, the thing we've got to realize is that we're all in that place, all on that common ground. I've told this story before, but I, when I went to the AA meeting with a friend of mine and I left there and I realized we're all the same. We're all the same. He said, what'd you think? I said, we're all, I'm like you. I'm messed up. I've got stuff that's not right. And yet somehow a perfect and holy God came to me and changed my life. And he's still working. How awesome is that? I can tell you're excited. But, but it is, it is an awesome thing that a holy God comes and meets us in our mess and picks us up. And I want to tell you what will happen. If we all realize, no matter how high and mighty and righteous you think you are, if we will all realize that we're all sinners saved by the grace of God, being transformed into the image of God, and we won't forget where we came from and realize that if not for the grace of God, we'd be right back where we were before, then I'll tell you what will happen. There will be strength and power that comes to the body of Christ like we've never seen before. Because together we overcome. Is it not like a God of relationship to cause us to have to have relationship to overcome this world? Yes. I'll answer that for you. Yes. That's what God calls us to. Is to realize we're all got this one struggle. We're all, for lack of a better word, sick. And the sickness is sin. And together we overcome. We just sang a song, an awesome song about overcoming. And because of the blood of Jesus Christ, we have overcome sin and the grave. But we got to realize it is only by Him and not by anything that we can do. It, it, it's absolutely 100% about Him. Jeremiah 17, 9 says that the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond a cure. Who can know it? The good thing is, yes, our heart is deceitful and it will lead us astray every time. But the Bible says that if we are led by the Spirit, we are in the heart of God, we are following God, that we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So to answer Jeremiah's question, who knows the heart? Who, who, who can understand the heart? Jesus. The Bible says that we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but has one who in every way was tempted like we are and yet was without sin. So whatever you're going through, Jesus understands and he can help you come through it so that you're not doing this alone. 
You're never alone. God is with you, and he wants to help you to overcome. He wants to help you, but, but we can't do it on our own. I'm telling you, you will wear yourself out. I remember the first time, the first time um, that this really became clear to me. I had, had really given my life to God. I was living for God, had been on this awesome retreat. Some of you have heard me talk about it before. I came back, and for like six months, man, nine months, I was like, You know, it was awesome. I was loving God, living for God, man. I was telling everybody else what they were doing wrong and how they were going to hell and everybody was going to hell and you're going to hell, you're going to hell. And nobody could stand me, but I didn't care because this was it and that was it and this is how it is. This And I remember one night, it became so clear that if I didn't do something different, if I didn't change, if I didn't have a change of my mindset, then I was going to be in trouble. We were living in Waynesboro. Susan was going to school at MCG, um, not to be a doctor, unfortunately, but to be an occupational therapist. And so she was up there, and, and I was working in Statesboro. And so we were at home, and we were talking about some friends who, who in my opinion, just weren't living like they ought to live. And, and they were an abomination before God, and, and I needed to tell them that they were not doing the right thing. And, and next time I tell them, see them, I'm going to tell them, you are a hellion and you will perish. <laughs> and I was telling Susan that, and she goes, Brandon, I really think, and this is the wisdom of my wife, as she's always smarter than I am, but she says, I really think you just need to love them. And I remember I slammed my hand. We're eating dinner. We're sitting at the table. I slammed my hand down on the table. The plates and forks and peas, peas rolling all over the table and the floor and glasses, water spilling everywhere. And I said, bam, that's not good enough. That's not good enough. And she looked at me like, oh my gosh. She's like, get behind me, Satan. And, and I'm sitting there and I am just like, whoa. I was like, what just happened? I just felt this anger. I was like, I haven't felt that in a long time. It's like, what just happened? And then I realized something's got to change. And I want to tell you, I got to this point where I couldn't do it anymore. I realized if I don't just come to God and let him cover me with his love, and if I don't trust him to change me and let go of all this crap that I'm holding on to, if I don't do this, I'm not going to make it. I'm not going to be able to sustain the pace that I'm on. It's either going to be by God's grace or it's not going to be at all. It's either going to be by the Holy Spirit or it's not going to happen. And I realized, man, I've got to trust God to change me. I can't do it. It was just that surrender. It was coming to God every day and saying, God, I surrender to you. So many of us worry about what we're going to do five years from now. We get our little five-year plan. Well, by this time, I should have this and that. And And we get our little five-year plan. And, you know, I really believe that God's more concerned about what you do tomorrow than he is in five years. And if you'll get up and surrender to him tomorrow, if you'll leave this building surrendered to him today, you'll end up where you want to be in five years or where he wants you to be, I should say in five years because you're surrendering to him moment by moment, minute by minute. And the spirit of God will begin to produce the fruit of Jesus, the love and the joy and the peace and all these things that we so desperately as Christians want to manifest. And we will quit giving people a false impression of what a Christian is because God himself will be working through us to change us. But it comes through just surrendering ourselves to him and realizing we can't change anybody. I had a couple of instances early on when we started the church. And I say early on like we've been around for 10 years. We've been around for like a year and a half. But, but early on in the grand scheme of a year and a half, I, I had a couple of instances where people would come to me. I'd preach something about Jesus being the only way and I'd probably say things I shouldn't say, you know, about Buddha not getting you there and stuff. And, and every time I would do that, I always have people that get offended. And what it caused me to do was to come to a crossroads 
crossroads of how am I going to handle this? How am I really going to handle this? Am I going to trust God to change their hearts and to help them come to the truth? Or am I going to try to just beat them over the head? Because I could have stood there after the service and argued with them for an hour and a half about all the biblical principles and all the scriptures that say that Jesus is the only way. But what I chose to do, and this was totally out of my realm of comfort, is I said, God, you change their heart. You reveal the truth to them. God, I can't fix them. I can't change them. God, you just reveal yourself to them. And the most amazing thing began to happen. I began to see people's lives changing. I began to see people come to know Christ. I began to see God give them a revelation. I couldn't give them. As much as I wanted to argue the scriptures, I could not convince them. God had to do it. We got to get to a place, church, where we trust God to be God. And we're content being what he's called us to be. We got to be willing to do that. I had uh, about... I guess nine months ago, we probably had the church going five, six months. We had a service, and after the service, I'm usually kind of wiped out, you know, kind of like, ooh. And I'm walking out of here, going into where we used to have, where we had the coffee and where we used to come in that way before we knocked the walls down and everything in here, building the pool, all that good stuff. And I was walking in there, and this guy comes up to me, guy I'd never seen before in my life. And he comes up, and he wraps his arms around my neck, and he just is hugging me, and I'm like, all right. I'm like, yeah, man, hugs, you know, brother's got a hug. And uh, so we, we embrace. And, and then, and then he, he backs away from me. He looks at me and he says, I've been suicidal for over a month. And today's the first day that I've had hope in a long time. And he left and, and he started coming to church and he was hanging out and I got in a connect group and, and God just began to work in his life in incredible ways. And I got to witness God moving in this guy's life over like a nine-month period. Well, he comes back to my office. This is probably two weeks ago, and he sits down. And uh, I love it. He, he'll come by just for like five minutes, just drop in, say, hey, this is what's going on. Man, this is this. And he's up. He's like, all right, good, cool, gone. You know, and uh, just like these little snippets, like a little, little, little bitty five-minute catch me up on things. He drops by. And he says, Brandon, I don't know what's going on. He's like, this, something's not right. And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, well, first of all, I'm in the Christian bookstore and I'm buying my wife a Bible. That's just, that's just weird. He's like, I'm buying her and, and I'm even getting her name put on it. And that's just weird to me. And then he goes, and I bought myself this necklace. I bought myself this cross necklace. And he's like, I've got it on. That, that's, that's strange. He's like, why did, I, why, why did I do that? He said, and then I'm getting my hair cut and I'm telling the lady who's cutting my hair about Christ. He says, Brandon, what's going on? I said, man, I think it's all good stuff. I think it's awesome. It's awesome that God has changed your heart. He's, he's changed your life. He's, he's turned your life around. He's doing all these incredible things. But the awesome thing about it is nobody beat him over the head. Nobody, people just loved him. Every time he walked through the doors of the church, somebody loved him. Every time he would come and go to a connect, somebody loved him. And I want to tell you, that is what it's about. What if nobody ever gave you a chance to experience grace? Where would you be today? I know where I'd be. Probably dead. Probably dead. And some of y'all are like, amen. He'd have been dead. 
But God intervened with grace, and he changed my heart. If he can change my heart, he can change your heart. See, I'm amazed by the fact that Jesus went and called sinners like me. He went and called a sinner like Levi, and he went and ate in a house where that was built by stolen money. Why would Jesus do that? Because I believe he knew that broken, busted humanity could not do it on their own. So he comes with grace and mercy, which leads to repentance, according to 2.4 in Romans. It leads us to repentance so that then we find forgiveness, so that then we find the perfection of Christ, so that then Jesus comes in, turns the tables of our heart over, makes it clean, makes it perfect, so that the living Holy Spirit can reside in us, the temple of God, and the Holy Spirit begins to change our life. That's how it works. The goodness of God that people see through us. Can Jesus change an adulterer? Yes. Can Jesus change a homosexual? Yes. Can Jesus change a crackhead? Yes. Can Jesus change a heroin addict? Yes. Can Jesus even change a gossip? Yes. He can even change a gossip. Believe it or not, he can so that we have a God who is so big and so able to change our hearts. So huge, and yet God, so huge, and yet God knows each one of us and loves each one of us and calls us, even when we're imperfect, to a loving relationship that leaves us different, that brings us into his heart and into his changing hands and arms to mold us and shape us. And challenges. It's not all about just fuzzy, warm, cute, and cuddly. He challenges us to live a life of adventure following his spirit. But he changes us nonetheless. I want to leave you with this today. It's out of Psalm 8. Psalm 8, 3 through 5. It says, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, What is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. I am constantly amazed at the creation of our God. I'm constantly amazed at how huge God is. I'm constantly amazed that this huge, perfect, holy, righteous, um, just God calls me to be in relationship with him. I saw something this week that was absolutely amazing. You know the universe, and I want to look at this, but make sure I get it right. The universe, they can't really tell exactly how big our universe is. It's constantly expanding, but they say that it is at least 156 billion light years wide. That's bigger than a football field. I'm going to tell you, that is big. That is big. Can you, we can't even get our little brain. You know how many zeros that is? We can't even get our little brain. Think about this. Light moves at over 186,000 miles per second. So you can't cut the light on and get in bed before the lights are up. You can't do that. It just, it is fast. It is really, really fast. And this is the God that we serve 156 billion light years. And yet, Tuesday, 
I go to the doctor with my wife, which is an experience in and of itself. You walk in and everybody's like, what's he doing here? But I went and we look at a six and a half week old baby on an ultrasound. Six and a half weeks. And we see a heart beating. And she measured it and she says, right now, his heart is about the size of a piece of rice. 156 billion light years. And he creates a heart the size of a piece of rice. Not to mention the DNA that's in every one of your cells. Not to mention all the details that he's placed in your life and orchestrates in your life to bring, a, bring you to a place of being able to know him. How awesome is our God? He is incredible. He is absolutely awesome. And this is the God that loves you and calls you and desires that you encounter him on a daily basis. Not so that you have to go home. Oh, bless God, I got to read my Bible again. (sighs) I guess I got to pray now, God. Listen to this first. Proverbs 15, 3. I want to read this to you. I came across it this week. It says, the eyes of the Lord are everywhere, keeping watch on the wicked and the good. The eyes of the Lord are everywhere keeping watch on the wicked and the good. How many of you find comfort in that verse? One, thank you. Because our mindset of God is still not a God of love. It's like Santa Claus. He's like up there with his list and he's checking it twice and he's just wanting to find out if we're naughty or nice. And if we're naughty, he can send us to hell. That's what we think. But that's not our God. Our God is a God who left heaven to come to earth to die for us on a cross so that we could be forgiven and that we could be changed and we could take on the image and the the courage and the boldness and, and the very character of God. Wow, I'm excited. Let's go home. That is so cool how much God loves us and how big God is and yet he cares down to the finest little detail of our life. What a privilege that we have to know him and to experience the encounter of God and the life change that that brings. Listen, God can change anybody. And when we bring people into God's heart, into God's will for their life, into his presence by offering them grace, how exciting is that? You know, we come through these doors every Sunday, a lot of us who are regulars here, regular worshipers here, we come in and we pretty much kind of know we're going to sing some song. We're going to hear a message. But you know what never gets old? Seeing people's lives change. Seeing people's hearts do a 180 and change. Seeing people go from trying to cover up the patches in their life with unshrunk cloth to saying, I know God is the only one that can cover my life, that can cover my sin, that can cover my shame. It's the only thing lasting. It's the only thing that can change my heart. It's the only thing that can make me love my wife again. It's the only thing that can make me not want to cheat again. It's the only thing, and it's Jesus. And so many of us are looking for these other things, and it's unshrunk cloth we're putting on an old garment and we need to just put it on Christ and let him be our love and our grace and let him change our hearts and our lives just surrendering to him moment by moment day by day it's the best place last week we talked about the sweet spot it is the sweet spot there is none sweeter than being in the heart of God and just letting him love you and you love him my prayer for you today is this that you will begin to enjoy God through a relationship 
with Jesus Christ like you've never enjoyed him before. That is what he created you for. That is what he desires is for you to bring him pleasure and for him to be able to enjoy your life. All right, let's pray.